AV Nation is brought to you by Atlona, the go-to provider for AV signal distribution and control in corporate, higher education, and residential spaces. Learn more at atlona.com. The Sun, it, it, that's where the story comes from, uh, rang in the new year with a bang, unleashing its most powerful solar flare. While spectacular, such outbursts can impact satellite communication and power grids on Earth. How do we protect our systems, which are really, really persnickety when it comes to power? How do we safeguard our systems? Well, first, first, you know, uh, aren't we all sick of the sun? I mean, <laughs> I carry a solar flare gun just for this purpose, for defense against solar flares. Um, the sun only knows violence, Tim. It's all it knows. You just got to speak its language. The sun, giver of all life. The Mayans worship the sun. Then they disappeared without a trace. Don't let this happen to you. Protecting against solar flares, the future of return to work, and the MSG sphere has its first glitch. All that and more next on AV Week. This is AV Week, episode 646, recorded Friday, January 5th, 2024. Bespoke AV. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of the biggest audiovisual news and information we have got this week. My name is Tim Albright. I am tanned, rested, and ready. Holy crap. Mitchell, the magic producer, gave me two weeks off. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the best of and the, uh, the wrap-up for 23 and 24. But we're back to work, just like all of you. With us to discuss all the information and news we have got this week. First and foremost, a, uh, a young lady I got to meet in person at the, with our group, our, our our folks over at Pace University, but she's fantastic. And I even said to her that day that I want to get her on the podcast. And she still said yes. Kristen Bidwell from Act Associates. Welcome, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Tim. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you didn't catch it, uh, check out Dan Farisi wrote a great uh, article on it uh, on Commercial Integrator about our, our, our panel there at, at Pace. So check that out. Uh, a couple of other old buddies uh, who used to be on their own um, uh, own podcast. I, I guess this is a roundup or a, a a, uh, a reunion of AV SmackDown. First and foremost, Mark Coxon from AVISPO. Welcome, sir. Hello, Tim. Thanks for having me. And the other half of AV SmackDown, uh, Chris Neto. How are you, sir? How you doing, Aunt Brew? Nice to see you again. Wow. It's the hair, kids. All right. If you're not watching the video, my hair has actually gotten longer since the last since the last time I did this, which was only two weeks ago. First story comes to us from our friends over at AV Magazine. Oh, the horror! A technical hitch marred the world's largest LED display the day after Christmas when a conspicuous white spot appeared on the 55,000 square meter. For those of us in the U.S., that's 182,000 square feet. Exosphere, uh, the sphere enveloping the landmark MSG sphere building in Las Vegas. Social media, media, social media users, of course, spotted the malfunction in the early hours with some mistaking the frozen pickles, pixels for a crack in the massive curved video display. The operators at the MSG Sphere uh, uh, confirmed a small number of LED pucks had stayed white instead of changing colors in sync with the rest. We've talked a lot about the Sphere. Everybody in our industry has talked a lot about the Sphere. I'll talk about the Aviation Reader's Choice Awards in a moment. At the end of the show, it's on the dock to be the AV install of the year. It's, it opened up in earnest, like the first video was showed the, shown the 4th of July here in the States. You uh, 2 of course, opened up the end of September. Mr. Neto, we're going to start with you. This is a huge, high-profile install for everybody involved. 
How do you safeguard against something like this happening? Buy extra panels. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. We're in the business. This is not called AV Week, and you're bringing in rookies. You're bringing in people that have dealt with this stuff, right? So for uh, you know, just quality of business and just being business smart, you don't buy just 100 panels. You buy the extra, and you get them all in the same lot, and you make sure that they all come off the same. This, this is a bespoke system. Bro, it's it, as bespoke as it is, it is also right now bespoke. So you got to fix it. <laughs> All right. And I've made you laugh within the first five minutes. My job here is done. Thank you, folks. My name's Chris. I'm out. I'm out. So right now, what are you going to do? You don't think product failures happen? It happens to everybody. It happens. Man, how many cars have been recalled in the history of cars and even the nice cars that are all electric and run by a guy who runs Tesla just had a huge ginormous recall. Yeah. You have to be prepared for this sort of stuff. And that is just good business and good trade. Now, if the folks there, yes, they see it, they acknowledge it. One of the pucks are are, are done. It could be just a reset because we know how we fix things is first. You got to turn it on and off and maybe just unplug it and plug it back in. Maybe it'll work. Right. But you know, you have to be prepared as somebody who sold led in the past, you know, you don't just sell those hundred panels that you need for that job. You sell a few extras because how many, and this is the, the stats that we don't know, how many broke during the install? Oh, right? yeah. I mean, just that alone. And when I was there for NAB in March of last year, prior to the opening, it was already doing its soft opening. It was spinning some colors of RGB just to kind of warm it up and get it ready. They don't live forever. Nothing is forever including TVs, LEDs, OLEDs, organic, all that sort of jazz. So you have to be prepared. I think it's good business. And if anything, it is good for, um, you know, for for good practice that if you're going to put out something that is going to be on a microscope or under the, the magnifying glasses, this is, you better be prepared. Maybe shut it down every so often and get that like preventative maintenance. Do you have to run it during the day? You know, check these things. These are, it's good practice and we are going to push the limits, especially of this, of what an outdoor LED can do in that particular type of setting, which doesn't have a four, like four seasons per se, but I can't wait to see what a year of the heat and the sun and the the blasting that's going to do is going to do to something like this. So prepare for, you know, buckle up. It's not going to get, it's not going to get fun. All right, Coxon, same question. You know, what do you do when something like this breaks? Well, I mean, you have you have millions of pixels. So to think that none of them will ever go out, reset, freeze, I, I think would be would be uh, you know short sighted for sure. Um, you know, you mentioned this is bespoke. I I actually think that it's more important to have spares when you have something that's bespoke. You can't replace it with anything commercially available off the shelf. And when you're doing this, you obviously want to make sure that like, hey, we're going to have failure. This hasn't been done before. Um, there's always going to be more, more of a risk involved with something that is brand new and hasn't been done. And so I, I think the people that, that built the sphere, I mean, I, I assume, you know, MSG did a really good job at making sure they have extra equipment, et cetera. Um, you know, monitoring is always great. So they proactively know if something's out, something's not getting picture, something's not the temperature that it's supposed to be. So having some type of backend built in to know when these things are going out is great. And then for, you know, anytime you have a live, anything you have time, you have something that's live, like a show, even if it's a fixed install, you know, to really take some of those practices from live and events. So the way that we, the way that we terminate cables, the way that we have service loops, the way that we could have patch panels, or the way we have redundant failover equipment, if a processor goes out or something like that, that we can just quickly patch the new processor in 
get those back up, take the old piece of equipment out, something that's hot swappable, et cetera. Those practices really come into play in anything that has kind of a live contingency to it. So, you know, like I work on a lot of um, auditoriums or meeting spaces that are like large all hand spaces. And we try to build those to pro standards so that when those things happen, it's, it's an easy switch over and you're not actually um, losing, losing airtime, you know, as, as things are happening. So I think if you just look at that, those are, those are things you do. I don't know that the sphere has or hasn't done those, um, I think it is kind of funny that it's like a, a break in the simulation, right? Everybody thinks that the sky's falling when a, when a couple of the things uh, fall out. I, I always thought it'd be cool to film the Truman Show in there. Like, shouldn't we go back to that with the big LED sphere? Uh, but no, I, I think I think those are the main things that I would think about when we're thinking about redundancy in a in a system that needs to be on all the time. For, for you Gen Zers, uh, go look it up. I'm sure it's on Netflix. Uh, it's what my son would call an old movie. Um, is the Truman Show? Uh, Kristen, one of the things here is uh, Kristen designs systems. Um, she has no affiliation with MSG Sphere, so this is a, you know she is not affiliated with that in any way, shape, or form. But when you design systems, how do you design for failure? How do you design to you know not prevent right? Because I think we're all for agree here that that stuff will happen. But how do you how do you design for when it does fail? Well, first off, I was actually, um, and no one at the Sphere is going to like hearing this. I was excited to see that something went wrong. Um, okay. Just because we we talk to clients about next, you know, day two all the time, yeah. and that something's something's going to happen, right? It's AV, it's technology. You know, it, it's never a hundred percent perfect. The install never goes a hundred percent perfectly, no matter how well it's designed. Something's there's always something. There's always a gotcha. So. To see a multi-billion dollar system, something happened within the first year. I thought that was fantastic because now I can use that as an example. No matter how much money you're going to throw at it, something's going to happen. So you, wanted, you want to take preventative steps, um, not just buying high-quality commercial components, um, but you also want to have top talent designing the systems. You want to have top talent installing the systems. Um, installation is huge. You know, sometimes on bid packages, we fight with clients to actually get a, um, a really good installer to install the systems. Uh, and it matters so much on, on how the equipment gets installed and also what's the day two service. Um, what's the manufacturer warranty? Um, you know, someone on Twitter I saw um, as a joke about the sphere, they said, oh, I hope they got the extended warranty, right? Which made me laugh, but I was like, yeah, like, what's the warranty on that? Um, especially with LED walls, there's such a, a diverse range depending on what, what company and manufacturer you work for. Sometimes their warranties go up to two years, some lifetime or, or extended lifetime, right? Um, so it's, it really depends and all of that should factor into designs as well. Um, thinking about that day two, thinking about how it's going to get serviced when it does fail or when something goes wrong. Um, it was also mentioned to have um, some kind of management solution, right? You want a remote solution where you can monitor your systems uh, and make sure everything's going well before it fails. So I think all of those elements and everything um, the guys just mentioned really play a key role in, in um, making sure that failure is minimal uh, in the future. I appreciate you saying failure is minimal. It's not because it's not a, it's not avoidable, right? right? It, it's, stuff is going to happen, even something like 
Hello, this is Steve Greenblatt, host of AV Nation's Estate of Control podcast. Each month, Rich Fergosa and I explore trending topics, foundational subject matter related to control programming and automation in the audiovisual industry. We speak with a variety of AV professionals who share their perspective, knowledge, and experiences. Please join us for this monthly conversation. Check out Estate of Control on avnation.tv or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. Uh, all right, our next story, uh, The Sun, it, it, that's where the story comes from, uh, rang in the new year with a bang, unleashing its most powerful solar flare since 2017. Stick with me because this is not a science lesson, Neto. Just hours before 2024 began, according to scientists, the massive X5 class eruption, just for the record, that's the biggest, right? X5 is kind of like the Richter scale. The X5 is the biggest one. Uh, it was spotted by satellites monitoring the sun on December 31st. The flare peaked at 2155 UTC, release, releasing vast amounts of radiation and charged particles. While spectacular, such outbursts can impact satellite communication and power grids on Earth. Coxon, that's where we're going with this. Power is not sexy. I am terribly sorry to our friends at Furman, to our friends at Surgex, at, at, you know, to our friends at, at Snap One. It's not something that people, they don't run, people are not going to run to power management systems at ISE in four weeks, right? It's not what they're going to do. They'll end up there, but they're not going to run there the first day. How do we safeguard our systems, right? And, and the reason I, I bring this up, not just because it's, it's cool to talk about solar flares, but at least in the States, there has been an awful lot written and talked about the fragility of our electrical grid, right? Other countries, the age and fragility of their electrical grid, just like what this story we just talked about, there is going to come a time when power is going to go out or we're going to have brownouts, which for my definition is not complete loss of power, but lost in voltage, right? Lost in, in, in the, the amount of power. How do we protect our systems, which are really, really persickety when it comes to power? How do we safeguard our systems? Well, first, first, you know, uh, aren't we all sick of the sun? I mean, climate change <laughs> now, solar flares. I this is why I carry. Just get a, rid of it. I carry a solar flare gun just for this purpose, for defense against solar flares. Um, the sun only knows violence, Tim. That's all it knows. You just got to speak its language. Um, no, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of there are a lot of a uh, lot of best practices around. Uh, protecting your systems from surge protection, from brownouts, you know, uh, using power protection, using power conditioners, all of those things. And then also in the design of, of how we put things together, you know, decoupling racks, making sure the racks are grounded individually, maybe not ganging them together, maybe um, using fiber more to connect devices so that we're not creating a copper uh, conduit between every piece of equipment in a building all the back to one place where the surge happens at Iraq and now everything in the actual actual facility is now dead because electricity travels down copper you know so I think if we start to think about those things there are ways that we get again we can mitigate this or or you know if somebody dropped a, a magnetic pulse bomb in a in a space are we going to be able to design a system that protects us from that no like we're not going to get around the fact that our our systems use electricity, and if electricity is gone, they're not going to work. Um, UPS backups, I think we have more promise with battery technology now than we've ever had uh, for some of those things. Um, having alternate ways to power things through PoE as a backup source or, or things of that nature sometimes help, and we keep things out of you know uh, the 110 
you know, network of, of plugs all throughout the building that now we can have cameras going back to POE switches that we can protect on a UPS, et cetera, and not have them contingent on the, the power panel. I think there are a lot of things you can do. Um, but I'm not an EE would as, as is apparent by my answer right now. So I would leave those. All right, Kristen, same question, you know, and, and, and you're the designer here. Um, so we're going to lean on you for that. How, how do we put these in the system? Like, like seriously, like, you know, again, it's not sexy. And a lot of times when their uh, customers are value engineering, which is my nice way of saying cutting costs, just haphazardly. How do you have that conversation and say, look, kids, you might want to keep this in there. Um, I say uh, I can catch on fire and you're going to lose your system. There you go. I was on site and I won't say what project, but we had an um, integrator who wasn't well-versed in power and we had, he had, um, he had to move the rack for some reason and he had like four different like extenders going and it was like power strips and then just extension cables and another power strip going to the rack and I walked in and I brought the client and I was like, all of that is going to catch on fire. Like unplug it now just stop you know um so it's it's incredibly important especially when we're seeing um you know phenomenon that like that's what's going on right now um i'm personally in new hampshire we could actually see the northern lights light up last month um that's really cool it's also kind of scary right um and what's it going to do the to the power grids so i think anything from commercial installations to even in your house um uh if you have a remote studio, like we're remote home office, like most all of us do. Um, I think adding power protect or surge protectors versus power strips is really important. If you have some pretty heavy AV gear, um, you know, look into getting surge protectors. Um, it can absolutely help save all of your equipment. Um, I, we, we ask for, um, you know, surge protectors in every rack. We ask for, um, uh, isolated ground for our rack um, and just making sure that it's grounded correctly is a big deal. Um, a power surge. So I'll kind of like talk about two different types of, I guess, power that can, that can hit your rack. Um, there's a voltage spike. So this is kind of a, this is a sudden increase in electrical voltage that can last for a very short duration. So something that just hits your system. Um, in this quick type of surge, it can overload the dedicated electronic components in your gear, leading to complete failure. Um, a power surge, on the other hand, is a longer lasting and more intense electrical surge. It can be caused by lightning strikes or electrical grid, excuse me, electrical grid fluctuations or power outages. And these surges can generate a massive amount of energy into your gear that is absolutely, it's not designed to handle and blow your system. So when you're, you want to think about that and how important it is, your AV gear, when it's exposed to these types of spikes or power surges without proper protection, you really run the risk of damaging um, the internal circuitry or causing a fire or burning out your components. Good night. Neto, I'm going to bring you in on this. Uh, I, I am reminded of this, what, what, what Kristen just talked about with the power surge, uh, a buddy of ours, uh, Joe Whitaker, he uh, currently works for Origin Acoustics, but he used to have an integration firm here in St. Louis. And he took a job over from another integrator, probably the same one that Kristen was just talking about with the several power strips, who, let's just say he lost a bunch of gear when lightning struck an old mansion here locally called the Olin Mansion. And Joe came in and the lightning strike hit the security gate and because of the way that the integrator had everything wired 
that power surge traveled all the way back to the AV rack and burned every CCTV and every component along the way and toasted everything. I mean, we're talking control systems, DSPs, distributed audio, the whole bit. Joe did a good job of, of you know, of going back in and redoing it. But it's, it, again, I, I, I restate my initial statement. Power's not sexy, but it's important. How do we as an industry raise that level? I mean, because back to Kristen's example, we had an integrator who didn't really take power very seriously. So maybe we need to start here locally at a grassroots and say, okay, the AV industry, we need to, you know, how, how do we elevate the conversation about power and the importance of protecting it? Yeah. By the way, I hate this story. <laughs> I am so not the science guy. I'm not Bill Nye, dude. I don't know what you thought of when you asked me this question, but okay. But I am a distributor of power, right? You are. Yes, I am, dude. There is not enough power. There's, there's an inside joke there too, because you distributor power distribution. Yeah, you know it. You know how that works. So yeah. anyway, I am just going to tell, just go to what I know of, of, of power surges and power distribution and the products that I sell. One of the things that has come over the course of the last 10 years or so has been the smart, uh, the smart power, right? Um, one of the biggest problems is, as me being a former on-site person and a designer was that we'd have these weird power fluctuations, right? In a place like a, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, uh, a solar flare. So I'm going to change the topic on you. But I worked at a campus, right? Which kind of had their own, you know, power station. And it was never 100% perfect. It would fry things, things would blow. We had old school projectors, the projector lamps would go. Obviously, remote management, going back to the story of the sphere, which is more in our wheelhouse than this crazy story that you want to talk about. Um, so we have the power management. We get all these alerts that are telling us. I think what has really come about in the world of power management is that we now have the, the, the ability to remote uh, view what the heck's going on. Because in the past, everything would just blow out, right? Uh, now you're getting notifications. Now you kind of, you know, these things are preventing the little brownouts, the little power spikes and the surges and keeping you up and running. But more importantly, in the world of AV, we don't have to run anymore to go hit that on button on the projector because it protected it, right? But one of the things that we also have to keep reminding, and I, as far as my technicians go at the time when I was working on site, was that some of these things are meant to take a hit and then they're done, right? They did their job. You lived your life, power guy, power thing. You did a good job. You protected it. Right now, you got to pull that thing out. It just because it has a light on doesn't mean it's going to be able to take another hit, right? So from a power perspective, power is super important. I'm, it's not the sexiest thing. I'll just keep going back to that, Tim. There is no, you know, power surge protector, 12-month calendar, you know, of, of cool power <laughs> projectors. I'm running out of things to say. I hate this question. But you did Please. wonderful. Final story comes to us from Scarlett Woodford. From Future Stories Consulting, writing in rave pubs about strengthening return to office value. Woodford writes about his companies compel employees back to the office. The next generation of collaboration tools will redefine the post-COVID workplace, according to new research uh, from Future Source Consulting. Uh, she is reporting that corporate audiovisual budgets faced pressures in 2022, but are poised to rebound as organizations invest in technologies promoting equity, between in-person and remote participants. Kristen, we're going to start with you as the designer and somebody who works on this. What are you seeing for 23 and, and into 24? Not to be silly, just a reminder, the jobs Kristen is working on and designing probably won't see, you know, won't be 
you know, ready to go until 24, 25. But what are you seeing as you're talking to your clients? A lot of our commercial and biotech clients are building um, these pretty elaborate all-hand all spaces, for one. Okay. That's usually their main kind of um, focus. Uh, that would include a video wall, projector, multiple displays. Um, it's really the space where you can have all-hands meetings or have just people feel comfortable in this space to, to meet, to collaborate, to talk with each other and interact in person. Um, those spaces are obviously also accommodating to remote participants um, as well. So Zoom teams, we're seeing a lot of both of those. Those are the two probably primary UC applications that we're seeing going on right now. Um, but these spaces are really to bring everyone in locally that can come in um, or, you know, remote invite remote offices as well and trying to give everyone um, meeting equity, like you said, uh, in the space and, and have everyone's voices heard. Um, we're also seeing a lot of um, huddle spaces. You know, there's a lot of open space now. So people are getting rid of cubicles and having like these desks with like minimal acoustical treatment, which I'm a little worried about, but I'll get there in a second. Um, and these these desks that are kind of just lined up, but then also a lot of open collaboration spaces, a few conference rooms. Um, there's definitely still a need for the large, medium and small conference rooms lots of um, huddle spaces, some telephone booths for people that want privacy. Um, I am seeing a move away from the desk phone um, rapidly decreasing um, and, you know, um, companies selling headsets. I think sound masking is, is um, definitely increasing. Everyone wants sound masking now in the spaces because of the lack of actual personal offices. Yeah. Um, one thing that's interesting to me and, and it's really, I, I see a lot of, um, uh, business owners or CEOs really trying to make it a cool place to go. So whether that's, a, you know, a game room, a music room, you know, like something, something fun to attract people to um, just the overall aesthetics of the meetings or the corporate office um, is, has been pretty elaborate. Um, I've really enjoyed seeing what architects and interior designers are doing um, in these spaces because they're really cool to go to and visit and, and design within. Um, something interesting that just from my personal view is it's, it's definitely hard to get people to come back. Right. Um, yeah. it, it would have been different. I think if COVID would have lasted a month, but we had a couple of years to get really good at working from home. And, and, uh, I feel like when I talk to a lot of people, a lot of people do it well, you know, my team is fully remote and they're amazing. Um, and I, I don't worry about their work. Um, and they perform well. Um, so it's an interesting dynamic to see all this money going into all these commercial spaces. And I wonder how how they're actually pulling their employees back in. And I think it's, it's interesting. It's something I was thinking about um, was, you know, my home office, when COVID hit, it sucked. I made it really good. <laughs> it is awesome now. Um, and so I'm not sitting in it at the moment, but it's, it's um, obviously like, oh, this is a great white wall, right? Um, but, you know, I've got the automatic standing desks. I've got the four displays. I've got the incredible audio speakers set up. I've got a podcast station. I've got a fireplace. I've got my dog. I've got my coffee station. Like it's, it's like, I put some time into it and I love it. And I love working there. I have a view of the mountains surrounded by windows. Like, why would I not want to work there? So when when um, companies say, oh, do you want to come back to the office? I'm like, well, do I get this? <laughs> you know, because 
that kind of, you know, I made it a, a, a home office space and something that I'm very comfortable in. Um, and I don't have any distractions and I can focus. And if I'm sitting there for 12 hours a day working, um, I don't really feel like it was 12 hours. Um, and so I think companies are struggling with, well, where do we put all the people when they come back in? And I've heard the conversation um, of, well, I can't sit that close to somebody because then they're going to talk too loud. Now I can't focus. And I think that we've gotten so used to not being in the office with the surrounding noise. Now we're at home. We're really comfortable. No noise. And we go back and there's like 50 people talking. And it may not have been annoying before, but now it's like, oh, my God, I can't focus. Um, so I am seeing um, more and more headsets being sold um, okay. to try to accommodate for that. So there's not noise. Um, but it is an interesting conversation that I've had with a lot of people. And um, it will be interesting to see how utilized these phenomenal office spaces are uh, being, you know, in the next couple, couple of years. Like, will that return to office actually happen? And how many people are going to come back in? And is it for two times a week? And then was it worth the investment? Um, and I think for some companies where you need um, in-person, if you're, you know, um, collaboration, absolutely, those spaces are amazing. But it's, it's really, it's a conversation we have in the industry. It's like, oh, we're designing this awesome space. I hope it gets used. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's, um, it's really interesting. But I know a lot of um Business owners are very hopeful, um, and I think, um, you know, we have a lot of biotech uh, clients, so they they do a lot of collaboration in their, in their teams. So I think in that kind of a situation, yeah, they'll see a big return. Um, but I don't know about corporate. I mean, I was down in New York a couple of weeks ago, and I was in Times Square on like a Thursday at 2 p.m., and no one was in the office. Well, you just look around, and everything's empty. Yeah. So it's like... It's a really interesting time, and I'm I'm uh, I don't know I don't have a crystal ball on what's going to happen, but it's uh, I look forward to Mark and Chris talking about this because I I um it's it's just an interesting time in our industry, and I have no idea where it's going. <laughs> right, all right, Neto, what do we see in the return to office and meeting equity there, sir? First of all, book me in four years out, maybe eight years out when this actually really pans out because we got to go through and what everybody keeps talking about in the industry is all oh, the return to office and everybody, every, every article out of Forbes and all these places are trying to talk about the return to office and the failure and how great it is. Right now it's all propaganda. Honestly, where we're going with this is not going to shake out for another, you know, eight years, maybe 10 years, 15 years. We need the current leases to come to an end for the ones that are can't terminate. Then you're going to see desperation on the uh, on the people that are designing the spaces and obviously the owners of the spaces to make it more comfortable. The reason why Kristen's office works is because it's comfortable to Kristen. The reason why I like working from home is I had a bad, I, my back has been bothering me. I can randomly just lay out on my floor, put my legs up against this wall. You do not need a mental picture of this and stretch out my back. Now, Too late. I, sorry. I'm so sorry. But anyway, going back to what we were talking about, do not rudely interrupt me again, Mr. Albright. I would like to say that we are going to see the shakeout in about 10, in about 10 years. Until then, we're going to get forced cool. And I, I don't know a better way to put it. I'm going to get you some round seats and you're going to get these like poofy looking, you know, 
marshmallow seats and that's cool. And we're going to give you the pool table. Okay. The pool table went away. That was so 2016, 17, when everybody wanted to go googly, right? And everybody wanted these really funky things. And we're going to keep in the office till 10 o'clock at night. And it was a different workforce. The workforces that have graduated and come into the workforce don't care about the pool tables. They don't care about the marsh marshmallow seats. Now, all of a sudden, you got a completely different new generation of workforce people entering the space that you want to hire because the one, they're the ones that you want to hire are entrenched in their jobs that they absolutely love because they get to work from home and they don't have to fight with this. You got to go back, right? The commute sucks out energy and life out of people and they will refuse. And that's the problem. The new generation, I, and you can print out all the ads that you want that tell me that they really want to be in spaces. I get the mentorship. But I can spend a half an hour every day with somebody who I am on my team and they can mentor me remotely. There is no difference. The only difference is, is that I don't know how to properly pick up sushi with my chopsticks. Maybe that I would learn in person. But outside of that, I, I don't need to be at a water cooler to find out things. I can I can get a, I can create the water of all people. I can create a water cooler on video. Right. Yeah. So I don't need that 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 physical. But. What's interesting is the luring with the technology, and that's where we come into play. What do we have? I think every year we go to an Infocom, we go to an ISC, and we go, as you are, going to CES to find that one magical thing that could possibly bring them back, right? Many, many, many years, not many years ago, about five years ago, it was biophilia. Everybody wanted to bring plants into the space and sound and light and water running. All you had was a half a dozen people running to the bathroom every half hour because the trickling water drove them nuts. I'm just saying, right? And now you have this battle of open space with uh, the acoustic properties. I agree with you, Kristen, but does that mean we need to shut out the sounds around us or do we have to focus now, kind of like focus, you know, the laser... Uh, guided microphones, right? Now, do we need to have focus guided kind of museum space speakers over us keeping our sounds within a cone of silence, right? Or a cone of area. So I, I think the whole design, the whole plan right now, we are probably going to live through the most tumultuous point because you have this angst of people going back. You have technology that's trying to desperately find the one hook that they can bring into the space, whether it's great audio, great video, we can provide you great audio, great video. And then ultimately you have the companies that are looking at it and go, we're going to get you all, we're going to spend all this money to get all this technology to bring them back. And then they're going to look at that bill and then you're going to start seeing layoffs. You're going to start seeing things happen again because the money that they spent to lure you back is not getting the production that they're looking for. I've sat through a lot of smart people telling me very smart things on stage about how we're going to bring people back. And every single one of them, is still not there, unfortunately. And I go to modern work work uh, space conferences with that that the Crestron had put up, and everybody there had great numbers and great stuff. But you can skew those numbers. The fact of the matter is, is that the workforce is going to determine this. And for the first time in my career, these last four years, it's the employees that are kind of setting the tone. Uh, and then you then and then you see this flip, which we recently saw, where people were like, "Well, if you're not coming back, peace out, peace out." In the corporate space, so it's a very odd time. I'm with you on this, Kristen. I just don't I don't know if we're 100 percent there yet. And the designs that you're working on today 
are built around a space that was designed five years ago by a designer. Mm -hmm. I just think that the space and the designers are still catching up. We can have the latest technology, but it's not, we're, tr we're trying to basically rig it into a space to make it, make it comfortable for a person who would rather have a mountain view and a dog. You did touch on something that they are spending so much money on this. And when I talk to my team, I, I ask them, I'm like, so would anyone, and we're very honest with each other. I'm like, does anyone want to go back and work into the office? Silence. Um, does anyone want to meet up with, for dinner? Yes. They will drive out of state to come hang out. Last night, uh, we had people driving from two different states um, to meet in a center point just to go out for Italian food for a couple night uh, for a couple hours, and we had a blast. And and we do um, we do those kinds of things. We go to trade shows together. Um, we'll go to you know Jersey and do you know walkthroughs at manufacturing plants. We'll go woo Jersey, um, you know. But we'll do a lot of local things because now that COVID's over. Every, every rep is on the road. So um, they're doing so many other activities and they enjoy that. And so it's like, okay, well, let's put money towards training maybe in person, right? Let's put money towards the technology for your home office so you can work more efficiently. Like where are those conversations? It's always like, hey, let's buy the couch. It's like, well, can I get a good headset? Yeah. <laughs> like it, you know, it's interesting. The technology is so powerful there. And I am somebody who I, I felt like I was getting evaporated, like my head was evaporating of knowledge, right? During the time of COVID. So I, I scoured the internet and basically called all my manufacturers. When are you doing training? What kind of training can I take online? And I did. And I, and I made it a concerted effort to say every week I was taking some sort of class and I would get up early and stay up late and do that because I, I felt like as if, all right, it wasn't the connection of me and Tim working in the same space, but it was, how, how am I going to wrap my head around stuff when they ask me to come back in person, right? Or what happens when the technology, which at the time was all kind of delayed in, in, in parts shipping and stuff, what happens when they skip the next one and go to the next generation of something that I'm not, you know, that, that I can't speak on, like solar flares, right? When we get past that, that point, like... I, I, I needed to get the, the, the training and you're right. Could it be, maybe you can take away my 10 year old computer because you know, it's still on that, that process of it's, it's still good. Why don't you give me a faster computer so I can have Wi-Fi six so I can have a better this or that. Right. I, I think, I think that's the catch. I think maybe that's the point. It's the learning and the community of getting together to, to find out stuff more so than, the water cooler. Wow. That's a cool new water cooler. We got there. It does ice water as opposed to whatever. So I, 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 I don't know. I, I'm with you. There's, there's gotta be a catch because, you know, a six-year-old laptop isn't going to cut it when we're trying to push, you know, video, you know, or, or being asked if, depending on what your job is, are, are you creating graphics on an old processor? Like how, how, how are you supposed to do this? And that's always been the battle between the employee or the employer and, and, and its staff. So I often talk about this. Um, with number one, with our clients and, and also um, for workplace and, and things of that nature. Um, I could talk on it for a long time. So let me, let me say three things that haven't, maybe haven't been said or maybe said in a slightly different way. Um, one, if we focus on utility, we're going to lose. The utility of work can be done from anywhere. And we've proven that. Kristen, Kristen made that point. We worked quite well from home for two years. 
the utility of work is, is not the thing to focus on if we're going to think about what the future of a social office space is, because we're going to be able to get utility. Um, you can buy anything you want on Amazon. We still have shopping malls. You can watch any movie you want in your home, even sometimes day date. We still have movie theaters. People do not go to a place just to accomplish a task. And they have lots of motivations when they leave. There's a social motivation. There's an exploration motivation. There's an aspirational motivation of who I want to be and the type of person I see myself as. And if we're going to build the workplace of the future, we need to speak to more to the, of the, than the utility of the work being done at the company and to the ethos of the people that work there, right? So that's one. And that takes a little bit of work because we never really wanted to dig into who comes here and why they like to come here and what they need to do. And maybe, you know, John needs a place to do deep work because he has a house that doesn't have a dedicated office and he has four kids at home. And Jenny needs a place to come uh, because she doesn't have the technology she needs at home on her laptop to do, you know, eight hours of rendering high res graphics and pixels that she needs a workstation and 18 monitors for, right? So we have to really look at who are the people that are working for us and what do they actually need in order to elevate their work product, not to get the utility of work done, but to do their best work in the best state of mind and in the way that they need to be supported. That takes a lot deeper of a conversation. So, so number one, not focusing on utility, but focusing on elevation and focusing on those different um, motivations of each individual person. Number two, culture is way more than a ping pong table and bring your dog to work day. You know, I got a ping pong table at home, my dog sitting under my chair. I don't need those things in the office in order to bring me into the office, right? And so, and mandates we've seen don't work. You know, I just read an article yesterday that what happens when you mandate, you mandate, what you do is you take away the motivation. The motivation is lower than ever now in companies that are mandating back to work and the happiness of the employees is actually dropped. So what happens is when they go home, they log out, they don't do the extra work. They're done. You're going to make me come to the office from nine to five. Then great. You get nine to five out of me. That's what you get when mm -hmm. I'm here at work. That's where you want me to work. That's where I'm working. Right. And, and it's actually not producing the results that they want because when you want people to come in, because you want them to be to, you want them to be collaborative. You're saying, Oh, we're building this space so that you'll be collaborative. So you'll network more, et cetera, but they're not happy and they're not motivated. So they don't do those things when they go in there anyway, because they don't want to be there. Right. So the mandate doesn't actually produce the result. They have to want to go there to do those things in order for those things to be able to be done effectively. And so we have to think a little bit more about that. And the last thing I would say is just, um, I, I agree with Chris, uh, on this design and on leases and everything else on the motivation, you know, every study you see will be slanted towards whoever wrote the study, you know, electronics are on the rise by Crestron, uh, workspace will never go away by JLL, you know, like, you know, furniture is the key to unlocking the office by Steelcase. You know, so you're going to see these things out there, but they all have a motivation. Um, really, the real question is, and it's the hardest question because it uh, requires people to get rid of uh, sunk cost thinking and technical debt. But if I had nothing, what would I build? If I was going to start this company today, would I build an office? And if I did build an office, what would I build that office in order to facilitate that I'm not getting from my employees working remotely? And any plan that doesn't start there is doomed to fail because it's not based on value and current situation, right? It's built, it's based on, oh, I have 7,000 square feet and half my chairs are empty and it makes me really sad. It makes me upset that I'm spending all this money because nobody's sitting in my chairs. That's not a reason for people to come back. 
and then, and it never will be right. And so that's, what's going to happen. I think there is a case for space a thousand percent. I think experiential workplace is a huge, a huge opportunity in our future, but we have to reframe our thinking around it. But one of the things that you said makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Mark, I, I, I obviously you and Kristen are a lot smarter than me in this sense, but I would, I would like to add that one of the biggest problems that we or that integrators may have is when the conversation shifts from, you know, how many cubicles, right? You're talking about cubicle space and say it's 50,000 square feet. How many cubicles are in there? And oh my God, they're going to cut that space down and there's going to be less cubicles in the space. I, I don't believe that we make money on cubicles. I believe that if, if this is a business, we shouldn't stop focusing on the, on the cubicles. The space may minimize, but what you're going to get is bigger gathering spaces, which is where we matter, right? If the headset is going away, what does that tell you, right? So a shift in the size of the spaces going from 50,000 to 20,000 square feet, for example, who cares that there's only 10 cubicles? The same six meeting spaces are there and they're even more enhanced now because now we're talking about more pixels, wider screens, more ability to, to drop a thousand different images on there. It's, it's, you're right, it is a deeper conversation, but one of the things that we have to get past is that the cubicle and the elimination of cubicles, which I think is the future, is that it's not going to be a ratio that the the JLLs are using today, right? Which is you know x amount of square feet or or, or whatever per person. And I know you have that in the you know ready to go um, when it comes to how many people can fit in the space. But I think that those cubicles are going to get minimized down to a bare minimum, and you're going to start seeing more of the spaces that Kristen is designing, right? The gathering spaces, the broadcast stations, the recording booths, the the things that you can't have at home. Yes, you would. Right. I would love to give you a broadcast built facility in everybody's home, and this is how you. This is how we're going to message out to the to, to, to the millions. It may not be the case. I may hit. I may need to go spend a week in Chesterton at my headquarters because I have the ability to do that there, right? And it's still less expensive for me to fly out, spend a week there, do my recordings that I need to do in a proper space, right? And then come back and work from home. So the cubicles are going away. If there's anything you're going to take away from me in this is that the cubicles going away is not a bad thing. It's just a place for you to put your bag. The work is done inside the collaborative and meeting and gathering spaces. Thank you all so much. Uh, Kristen Bidwell, thank you, ma'am. Uh, how do people connect with you or ACT? You can go to www.act-associates.com. And how do they listen to your new podcast? Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, I just released a podcast called AV Deep Dive, uh, and you can catch it on Spotify. And you should go listen to it because it's really good. Thanks, Tim. Uh, Mr. Coxon, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you or AVISPL? Uh, they can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on X as AV Phenom, or if you want to see what um, my team and I are up to, you can go to avispl.com slash X as an experience uh, TG for experience technology group. And if you want to hear uh, or read Mr. Coxon uh, write on more eloquently, uh, you can go to ravepubs.com uh, because he writes very, very well there. So, 
Uh, Mr. Neto, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you? Staring.biz, that's the website. That's where you find out everything you need to know about your distribution needs. That's my commercial. And uh, that's it. Thank you, Tim, for having me. Appreciate it. Love your hair, regardless of what thank you. the other folks on this And uh, what about Midwich Live and the, the podcast studio at ISC? Yes, you will see me at AV on Air at ISC in Barcelona. I will be uh, putting together a bunch of people. Uh, that are going to be using the space to record, such as if, if Kristen, you would like to record live from ISE. I have a fully functional, 100% operational and high-tech conference space for you to use on the show floor. Um, I do have AV on air. Uh, we will uh, be having a Midwich Live coming up where me and Jenny are kind of doing a, an ISE preview. No solar flares included, so you don't have to worry about that. And outside of that, Tim, where can people find out more about you? They can't. They don't. Don't don't follow me on anything um, on X or on LinkedIn. Um, follow me on, on, yeah, nothing. Uh, but go by the website, avnation.tv. That's avnation.tv. Uh, you'll find this program and a host of others. By the time this posts, round two of the Avnation Reader's Choice Award will, will be live. It goes live on Monday. Mr. Neto is currently in the running for a couple of things, including AV and the AM. Uh, as well as the AV Professional of the Year for like the 15th time. I don't don't vote for me, folks. Can... Don't vote for me. I don't know. You're don't so popular. No, there's, there's, popular. More, there's definitely people more worthy than me on I, that I, list. I will say that it's my freaking website, and I don't get nominated. I'm, I don't know what the, what's up with that. Uh, but round two, the hair. Even if I wasn't, even if I was, I wouldn't mm-hmm. put myself on, just for the record. Um, round two goes live. Uh, we mentioned ISC. We are going to be at ISC as well. We have a tweet up, uh, which if you don't know what that is, it's where a bunch of us get together and, and enjoy some some time together, networking, food and drink. It is happening uh, at the HD Base T stand. Uh, so thank them for their support of that. Also, uh, in conjunction with that is the commercial integrator 40 under 40. You don't have to be in the 40 under 40 to come. Just come by to uh, four to six o'clock CET uh, on January 30th. Uh, so check that out as well. Uh, and you can register for tweet up. You can register for isc or you can vote all of that at avnation.tv that's avnation.tv thanks so much for listening thanks so much for watching that's all the time we have for av week the network for the av industry what are you listening to this this is av this 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 is AV AV Nation. nation this is av nation